episode eight of But You Don't Look Sick, and this episode we are finishing out the month of October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, with someone who is so strong. Um, Kim is on for this episode, and I started following Kim very early on in my diagnosis, and she is, oh, she is a warrior. I mean, this woman has been through so much throughout cancer between surgeries, um, her diagnosis, family, just everything. And I'm so happy that she is here today to just talk about her experience throughout breast cancer and everything that she's gone through and everything that she's continuing to go through. Um, she's so open on Instagram about all of her feelings, just emotionally, mentally, physically, and you sit there and you read her words and you can just identify with so much of it. And I'm so happy that she's on today and I'm so happy to call her a friend. So I hope you listen to this episode and come away with a sense of strength, a sense of empowerment, and just a sense of vulnerability as well when you listen to Kim's interview. And so I mean, I could go on about her forever, but I might as well just let her talk now. Okay, so for this episode, I'm talking with Kim, and Kim is like the epitome of the breast cancer warrior badass. She has been somebody who I followed for almost a year now, and her posts are so raw and so real, but they give so much information, so much hope. Um, but they also just tell the truth about cancer. So I'm so happy to have her on the podcast today to share her story. So hello, Kim. Hi, Kelsey. <laughs> um, I would love for you to kind of start out with your diagnosis um, and just the treatments that you've gone through, kind of where you're at now, and just giving people a little bit of your background story. Of course. Um, so my story all happened, it all started about... Two and a bit years ago, I was lying in bed one night and had a sudden feeling to do a self-breast exam, never thinking in a million years that I would find anything because, you know, I, was, I just thought it was something I needed to do. I should, you know, check my breast, but I just, I never thought I was actually going to find something in there. And so when I found a lump in there, I was so scared shitless, <laughs> like yeah. I didn't know what to do. My mind was racing. I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is breast cancer. And of course I, you know, get on Google and I'm Googling everything, which is, you know, the worst thing that you can do. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, after I found it, I made an appointment with, um, my doctor, um, to get it checked out. And I was hoping that it was just me being, you know, just, uh, hypochondriac. I'm like, okay, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's just nothing. Maybe I'm getting worked up over nothing. And, um, so when I went to my doctor, she said, uh, that it could be a cyst or, um, uh, fibrous tissue. But, um, she said, you know, we'll ultrasound it just in case. Um, so I was like, okay, well, you know, she seems pretty confident, you know, that, um, I'm, you know, I'm too young to, uh, to be getting breast cancer. And, and so I, my mind kind of eased a bit, but there was still that, that feeling, you know, that there was something wrong. And so, um, so then the day after I turned 34, I went for my ultrasound. I left work that day and told my boss, I'm like, I'll be back in an hour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and so I went that day alone. Um, 
and they did the ultrasound. And once the ultrasound was finished, the radiation tech said, uh, or the ultrasound tech said, oh, um, the radiologist wants us to do a mastectomy. Or, sorry, <laughs> just jump right into the mastectomy. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> um, wants to do a mammogram, and uh, I'm like, okay, why do they want to do a mammogram? She and she was just making it all seem very routine, and so, so then um, I went in for the mammogram, and you know, my mind's starting to you yeah. know race and think, okay, what's going on? So then they do mammogram the whole time. I'm just sitting there looking at everybody trying to read their faces. Like, okay, what do they know? You know, yeah. do they, does it look like, you know, they're seeing something. And, and so then once that was finished, um, I had to go and wait again. And, and then they pulled me aside a few minutes later and said, okay, well, um, you know, we did the ultrasound of the mammogram and we want to do a biopsy now just to, uh, you know, j- just to check to see that everything's okay. And I was like, okay, you know, something's, something's going wrong. Here. They did the biop. So, they did all of that in the same day. Yeah. Oh my God. They did it one after another. And I'm just looking at my watch and I'm like, I've been here now for an hour and a half. Like what is going on? I was expecting to be in and out of here within in a half an hour, an hour. Yeah. And so then the radiologist came in to do the biopsy and which is not, not fun. It, oh. You know, you know, they just kind of get a needle and shoot inside there to yeah. get a little piece of tissue. And, and it wasn't till after he took it, um, that he said to me, I want to, um, I want you to be prepared for this. He said, I've looked over your ultrasound and your mammogram. And he said, the mass that I seen isn't a cyst and it isn't fibrous tissue. And it's, highly likely that it's cancerous. Oh my and God. I just, oh, like even just remembering it is just like that sick feeling in my yep. stomach. Yep. Hearing those words. And I just was not expecting that. It just seemed like everything just kind of blurred over at that moment. Yeah. And uh and he he left the room shortly afterwards and the the technician was still there with me and I started crying and, and she said, well, you know, she was trying to console me that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not that, you know, let's, let's hope that, you know, it's, um, you know, there's that chance that it, it isn't cancer and, you know, still got to wait for the biopsy results. And, but I just knew in my head at that point that, that it was cancer. Yeah. And, uh, so that night I was, oh, well, I had to go, I was going back to work. So I called my oh husband. My I, told, I told him what just happened. And he was just, both of us were just in complete shock. And so I went back to work because I had to go and get my things. And one of the first piece, other than my husband, one of the first people I told um, was my boss and uh, let her know what happened because her kind of a unique situation, my boss's um, daughter had been through cancer um, at a young age. And so she had been through, you know, a lot of this and understood, you know, on that level. So she said, you know, like, if you need to get off work now, like go off work, you know, we're, we'll support you. And so, yeah, when I, I left that day and I was supposed to be going out that night to celebrate my birthday with my friends. Oh my goodness. Um, 
I still, I went out that night because I told my husband, like, I don't want to be sitting at home, letting my mind go a million miles a minute thinking yeah. about the, I almost wanted to hang on to that bit, a little bit of normalcy, you know, mm-hmm. um, or my life erupted into this chaos, you yep. know? So, um, I went out that night and looking back, I, I kind of, I didn't tell my friends right away because I still had that, that hope in me yeah. that it wasn't cancer and I didn't want to worry people yeah. if it wasn't that. Um, cause I still had to wait for the biopsy results, but I just, you know, I, I knew that it, it was likely, you know, going to come back as, as being um, positive and, mm-hmm. So I just went out that night. I, you know, had my last bit of fun. And then um, a few days later, I got the results, um, sat down with my doctor and, and it came back that it was malignant and uh, everything started happening quickly after that. I went to see a surgeon. Uh, He recommended I do a lumpectomy. Um, The mass was showing as being uh, about two and a half centimeters. Mm -hmm. And so... um, did that. I did a bunch of scans and blood work. And then, um, week later I went in for my lumpectomy. So they took out the mass and then they did a sentinel node biopsy. They mm-hmm. removed four nodes. And, uh, when the surgeon came to see me after my surgery was over, I said, Oh, how did things go? Cause I was hoping to find this, this huge, you know, wave of relief that yeah. it was all gone. And he came back and he said, so the, Tumor was a lot bigger than we expected. And and he said, and some of the lymph nodes look suspicious. So we had to wait for the the results again. And, you know, the waiting period is one of the worst things. The hardest thing, yeah. So um, I think it was about 10 days later I got my results. And um, the tumor was four and a half centimeters Mm -hmm. It was invasive lobular carcinoma, estrogen positive, progesterone positive, and HER2 negative. Okay. And I had three out of four lymph nodes um, that had been affected. Oh, my God. Um, so, and I, like, I'm thinking, how, how did I just find this? How did it already spread to my lymph nodes? Yep. And, you know, I'm panicking. And, and so I'm like, I need to do chemo right now. I need to, you know... I, I'm worried that, you know, of, you know, if it's already gotten to my lymph nodes, you know, and so then, um, I got a, uh, an appointment with my oncologist and once I seen him, I think about, um, a week later I was starting chemo. So, wow. so he said, you know, the, because you're young and healthy, which I thought was a good thing. Yeah. It, uh, he's like, you're, you know, you're young and healthy, which is a good thing, but it's a bad thing because the cancer can be so aggressive, and yep. which I had no idea about at the time. And so he said, you know, we're going to put you on uh, the best of the best chemo, uh, which is also the worst of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, um, so I was being put on um, uh, AC uh, plus T, so um, mm-hmm. uh, the Red Devil treatment plus um, uh, paclitaxel. So I did... Red Devil for um, eight weeks. So it was four rounds mm-hmm. that I did every two weeks. Wow. And then I did um, 
paclitaxel for my last um, eight weeks. So I was doing every two weeks with that as well. And I was doing the Nupagen injections oh. after every treatment for seven days. So my husband, we went to the, the nurse clinic and my husband had to learn how to give me these Nupagen injections into my stomach and into my arm and, you know, trying to kind of switch it up every day. And, and uh, so he was like my my home nurse in that a way. is just, I mean, did you ever do the new Lasta? I mean, the Nupagen is the new Lasta, but did you ever get the actual new Lasta? I didn't know. So I just got the Nupagen. So I had to go to the, um, the pharmacy and get these tiny little yep. jars almost with the tiny bit of liquid in there. And so then my husband had to syringe it out of there, you know, inject it in and, oh, and then, you, he had to use those alcohol wipes mm-hmm. to always clean. Oh, now I can't even. Anytime <laughs> I smell alcohol wipes, I'm just I just get reminded of that every time. It's the. I mean, I did the um, the Nupagen shots after I did New Lasta, and I had a, the worst reaction to New Lasta. I think. Well, my oncologist was like, I've never seen somebody have a reaction like this to New Lasta. Mm-hmm. I was hospitalized. It was awful. And so after that, they said, now after your chemo, you're going to have to come in for seven days and get the the shots in your stomach. I was like, Oh my God. They they definitely didn't give us an option of like doing it at home. I don't know if my husband would have been able to, well, maybe he would have, but it was crazy. Uh, So then you did, so you did those. And then what was your next step after chemo? One fun thing through (laughs) chemo, just wanted to (laughs) touch was the fact that, so it was about, I don't know, Five days into chemo, I think I had, so I had my lumpectomy a few weeks after my lumpectomy, I had gotten really swollen up and my surgeon said, Oh, you developed a hematoma and your body's going to reabsorb it and should reabsorb the fluid. Mm -hmm. And so a few days into chemo, um, I was like, Oh, this, um, my scar looks weird. It's like scabbing over. And so then I went to show my husband and when I showed my husband after he got home from work that day, I looked and it had opened up <gasps> and I was like, <gasps> and so I, we dropped everything. Like I was in the middle of making dinner, dropped everything, ran to the emergency clinic and they said, you have an infection. Oh. I'm like, no, I just uh, done my first chemo like five days prior and so I'm like, oh my God, like, are they going to delay my chemo and, you know, all this, all these things. And so while I was going through chemo, I also had to, I now had this hole where my lumpectomy was. So I had to go into the nursing clinic every, it started out every day or two and then kind of gradually got a little less and less, but pretty much the whole time I was on chemo, I had to pack this hole in my breast because my body wasn't healing itself yeah. because of the chemo. So I was on these, this dose dense two week chemo. So the first week it wouldn't move. You wouldn't see any, like there's no progress with um, healing. And then the last week as my body started to get, you know, mm-hmm. um, blood cells and, you know, get more of its strength back, then the hole would start to close and then it'd stop. And then it just like, just kind of up and down, up and down. So I was on antibiotics for about, three months while I was on chemo and Nubigen injections. And so my stomach was just shot oh. by the end of it. Just uh, not having it. Um, but then uh, um, during 
during the time I was on chemo too, my surgeon had also talked to me about possibly getting more lymph nodes removed because three out of four were affected. So Mm -hmm. he said we might want to take all of like do a full auxiliary node dissection. Yeah. So we're talking about that a bit. So I thought that was going to be the next steps after chemo was to do a node dissection. Um, So I went and had an appointment with him. And then he said to me, he said, you know, I want you to, to do all the cancer treatments first. Like let's, let's target all the cancer first. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. do what we need to do. And then we'll um, come back and look at that later on. Um, so I said, okay. So, um, so two weeks after I finished chemo, I uh, started radiation. I did radiation for 28 radiation treatments. Um, and they did, originally it was supposed to be 20, but they did lower dose to um, preserve my uh, skin and my tissue. Yeah. Because during my radiation, they, my oncologist had contacted me and he had gotten a second opinion on my pathology report from my initial lumpectomy. That pathologist had found that there were residual cancer cells left in my breast. Oh my God. <laughs> so I had, I had already kind of, um, tossed around, you know, the idea in my head of whether to have a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy because as I read up more on the type of breast cancer I had, the invasive lobular carcinoma, I found out that it has a higher likelihood of, um, uh, of finding something in the other breast, you know, later on. And, uh, and it has a different pattern of spread than ductal does. So it's kind of more um, web-like. And so um, with my tumor being small at first, and then when they removed it, it was a lot larger. I guess that's quite typical of a of lobular carcinoma. Is that okay. It just, it doesn't image, it doesn't show up on imaging as well mm-hmm. um, because of the way it spreads out. And so, um, you know, the more I read about it, the more I talked to people with it, I was like, oh, you know, I don't know if if I should go that route, I mean, that's a huge thing to do. And then, um, but once my oncologist told me that there were residual cancer cells left, you know, the, the decision was made right there. Yeah. You know, he recommended a unilateral and I said, no, I'm getting, I, I'm, I want to get both removed. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, we, um, work to preserve the skin and the tissue knowing that six months later I would end up undergoing a, a bilateral mastectomy. So so that was a big change of plans. That's kind of yeah. one thing I've learned through all of this is like nothing ever goes as planned. Yeah. So <laughs> um, <laughs> you think one thing and, you know, I thought, oh, everything's, you know, I'm coming up on the end of my treatment. Everything's going to be over. And then, oh, you know, boom, another, yeah, another hump to get over. Yeah. So, What were you originally staged with when you went in and they did like that first pathology? Did your staging ever change like once they got more pathology back? So um, the only staging that I was given was stage 2B. So that was the um, stage I was given once I had my lumpectomy and I got the results back from that. So that never changed. Okay. It's just so crazy like to – because like I was stage 2B with a completely different form of cancer. And listening to your steps and your treatment plan, it's just crazy how different everybody's cancer is. And I mean, I think that's like – what people think is like breast cancer is breast cancer. And mm-hmm. they just think that everybody goes through the same steps like, Oh, it's chemo. Oh, it's, but I mean, 
your like sequence was completely different. Exactly. Yeah. I know. And that's what I've learned so much through this. It's no one's story is ever the same. It's, it's crazy how different everybody's treatment is, how different everyone's story is. And, um, I mean, before all this, I just thought breast cancer was breast cancer. I didn't realize there was, you know, ductal, lobular, you know, inflammatory, you know, hormone positive, hormone negative, you know, all these different things. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. The, you know, the information that we learned through all this and by the end of it, I mean, you feel like you're a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. You can have these conversations. And I mean, my husband has said that too. Like if I've met somebody who has, or I'm at the cancer clinic and I'm talking with somebody and, and we're, we're literally like talking in code, like, like how me and you would talk or anyone else, like we're talking in, Oh, it's your hormone receptor. What tumor grade this, that. And my Mm -hmm. husband's like, I didn't even understand any of that. <laughs> no, right? Exactly. I've, there's been so many times I've had uh, doctors or nurses say to me, they're like, do you work in the medical field? I'm like, no, I've just just been doing this for a long time. So. Just, just a really know good patient. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so crazy. Well, I know from following you for the past year that you didn't just go through one surgery when it came to like your mastectomy. I mean, you've had several surgeries and undergone. I wish people just knew is that like a bilateral mastectomy is such a massive surgery, but then you got flap reconstruction, right? Yeah. So that was a really, that was a really hard um, healing process. Like uh, I never, again, I'd never even heard of what a latissimus dorsi flap was. So when I had gone to see my plastic surgeon after I finished treatment to discuss um, what my surgery options were, I just thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to have my um, bilateral mastectomy. I'm going to get implants and we're going to be done. Yeah. You know? Yep. But because I had radiation already, um, because I had um, this long lasting infection after my lumpectomy, my surgeon said that the best, um, best course of action would be to do a flap surgery. So the choices were either a latissimus dorsi flap or the Dieppe flap. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Dieppe flap, I just didn't have enough um, stomach tissue to to use to mm-hmm. do that kind of surgery. The only option for me was basically the latissimus dorsi flap. So when I went in for surgery, I got both done at the same time. So it ended up being about a four-hour surgery. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I wasn't really knowing what to expect when I woke up. I, you know, wasn't going to have anything there waking up. Mm-hmm. I was going to be flat, you know, and, and so I woke up and, and I remember I was so nervous, like to look under my gown and, you know, to see what had happened. And, and I was like, oh, I've got boobs. Like, <laughs> actually surprised. I'm like, this is weird. I was not expecting this. Yeah. You know? and so I guess he had, he had expanded me already, um, so I think about 120 cc. Mm-hmm. Um, they had put expanders as well as the um, flap from my um, from my back. Mm-hmm. So um, so when I say latissimus dorsi flap, I should I should explain that um, they use a piece of skin, muscle, and tissue um, from my back, mm-hmm. and then use it to help reconstruct my breasts on the front. So mm-hmm. basically, it's my chest muscle implant and then latissimus dorsi flap on top and so it's kind of weird to me because it's a round flap but yet the incision on my back is completely straight across so he's he did a really good job and he did it along my bra line so that way 
you know, if I'm wearing a bikini or whatever, you know, if I wanted to, I can, you know, it's not always visible, but right. the thing I wasn't expecting though, after the surgery was yeah. How hard the healing would be from that. I had drains that were looped under the skin in my back. So I had two drains coming from my breast, two in my back. And so I couldn't sleep no matter which way Yeah, I went. I couldn't sleep on my back. I couldn't sleep on my front. And so I just kind of propped myself up with about 10 pillows around me in bed every night, you know, and it it was, it was hard for the first two weeks. It was really hard, especially just having those drains in there. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah. So when I got those out, it was like freedom. That was the best, the best. But the thing is, is that, and I don't know if your plastic surgeon did this, but my plastic surgeon, the man was just way too damn comfortable with me or something because he gave me no warning when he pulled those things out of the side of my body. Oh my God. <laughs> like I didn't even, it, and he was like, Oh, you know, it's going to be so simple. I'm just going to cut this stitch. And I think I had two, I had two on each side. And then when they went back in and did my auxiliary node, they, they put two more in. Oh. So then he was like, I'm going to cut this stitch and th- it's just going to fall right out. I had, I was like, Oh, okay. I had no idea how far those flipping drains went inside your body. And then he just pulls them out. And I was like, I thought I was going to throw up because I was like, Oh my God. And he was like, was that bad? I said, it is like giving birth out of the side of your body. <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I had no idea. So did you, one girl told me that her plastic surgeon gave her a local and like a, just a local numbing agent and then pulled her hers out. I didn't get that. Me either. I'm like, well, can I have the number to your plastic surgeon? Because clearly, clearly mine is into torture tactics because it was, it was awful. (laughs) I know the worst by far was getting the ones out my back. Like the ones in my breast, they didn't feel like the drains were very far in. So they, they did come out a lot easier. Like, I mean, I'm saying in quotation marks easier because it's still, you know, wasn't, it was still, you know, a little painful, but the back ones were, oh, they were hell. They I were, even imagine. I, I was squeezing my husband's hand so hard. I think he thought I was going to break it. Hands. <laughs> like, um, cause they were looped. So there's probably, I think he said about 11 inches of drain looped under my back that they had to slowly take out of there oh oh my god okay (laughs) sorry I'm sorry I'm giving like a really bad visual (laughs) (laughs) let's just relive all these moments right now (laughs) (laughs) uh I know it's like it's it's so crazy you know that's one thing it's just so crazy to look back yeah on all this and think that this all happened like how how did I get through all this you know a hundred percent yeah, it's so, crazy. So where so. are you? So where are you now? I know that you have like I see you go in and you're getting like what are you getting scar? What are you getting on your like the nipple area right now? Okay, so I've had uh, since my bilateral mastectomy, I've had two more surgeries. So I had my implant exchange and then I had uh, breast revision surgery um, just in March. Mm-hmm. and um, had some fat grafting done as well. And so surprisingly, it's been my left side, which is my non-affected side, that has been the troublemaker through all of this. <laughs> um, I've had more discomfort on that side. Um, 
he's, I've had to have more skin removed on that side. Cause, mm-hmm. um, I ended up going actually down in size from what I was prior to breast cancer. Okay. So, so he's, uh, had to do a bit more work on that side and the scarring is just never, it never healed really nicely. So it's, okay. um, the scar is really prominent and dark and thick. And so, um, I wanted to see if I could do something you know, to make that better. So he had suggested this um, microneedling and non-ablative laser treatments that they started doing in the office. So, um, so they had this package deal going on a scar package. (laughs) (laughs) So it was three treatments and I went in and it took, um, so I go in, it takes about a half an hour. Um, They put some uh, numbing cream on there to start, Mm -hmm. which it's, it's kind of, you know, weird in a way because I don't have feeling really much feeling, you yeah. know, and same with across my back, my, my back, I actually have less, probably even less feeling than, than I do on my breasts. Like it's, it's really bad across my back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, so they put the numbing cream on and then wait for half an hour. And then I go in and they, um, they do the lasering to start and the lasering is the part that hurts um I would say more so than the microneedling mm-hmm. um and it feels like little zaps like all around the scar line mm-hmm. and so I don't know if it's maybe just some nerves that are somewhere in the breast you know maybe on the outside or something that are still active I'm not sure um but I still feel like a sensation mm-hmm. when you know do the lasering and then with the micro needling it's just these tiny like a bunch of tiny little needles that goes around and almost like injures the scar area mm-hmm. and um so then it looks all kind of red and irritated after because it's basically injured the skin to promote new collagen and elastin growth okay. to the area to help like promote it like healthy scar healing uh-huh. so i did the three treatments and then they ended up gifting me another treatment which was so <laughs> nice and then they ended up giving me another treatment so I've actually done five treatments now and my back is actually looking so much better than it was mm-hmm. um it's lightened up it's smoothed out more my right side does look a little better my left side I'm sure there's some improvement but it's just not enough. Yeah. You know, it's, it yeah. wasn't as much as I was hoping. Yeah. Um, but I think that's because the scar was just kind of so bad on that side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may be going in for another surgery in the next, um, couple months, uh, because I do still need a little more skin removed on that side mm-hmm. just to tighten things up because the implant almost floats around too much in there. Oh, that's my, and, that's my right side. Oh, really? Oh, Oh. yeah. And that was not my, just like you said, like my, my left side was the side that had my tumors and that, you know, was cancerous and it's rock hard, like because of so much scar tissue from radiation, like that, that one doesn't move. But then my right side gravity has not been her friend. And like, she just shoots right down. Like she, there's just, there is nothing to hold her up. And then when I if then she'll, when I lay down, that implant will just move straight into my armpit. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. She's just free floating. And I'm like, what, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what in the hell? So I'm kind of the same, like I'm supposed to go back in before the end of the year and 
have revisions done and like to carve out the scar tissue that's on my left side. And hopefully, so that implant can actually move a little bit and not because it's just, it doesn't move. Like it's just rock hard on that side. (laughs) And then, and then on my right side, she's just, she's everywhere. (laughs) Uh, There's no controlling her. And I'm just like, so I'm completely lopsided. Like if I'm not wearing like, and I don't really wear I don't know if you can either. Like I cannot wear an underwire bra. No. Yeah. Because of just the, Mm -hmm. it it hurts so bad where my drains were. I don't know if my drains just, and it's only on my, on my left side, but I think because there were four drains there at one point, like there's just so much scar tissue on my side (laughs) that when I wear, if I try and wear an underwire, it just is so painful and so uncomfortable. So I don't obviously wear an underwire, Mm -hmm. but yeah, but nothing's holding up like my right side. Like, I'm <laughs> just like, oh, exactly. I know. I I ended up um, like after my bilateral mastectomy, I wasn't able to wear a bra for the longest time because it was just the weirdest sensation. Mm-hmm. Like anything touching them, it was almost like my skin was hypersensitive mm-hmm. in that, like around my breast area, and I didn't want, I didn't want to be wearing a bralette. I didn't want to wear anything, yeah. and then. Um, with having, yeah, that extra skin and having the implant move around though, it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes if I'm wearing a a bra or bralette of some sort. So, um, I do tend to wear something now just to kind of keep that girl in (laughs) check. Yeah. Cause she gets a little crazy sometimes. so, So I'm hoping after this surgery that, um, that things will be tightened up enough that it's not kind of floating around so yeah. much and I won't have discomfort anymore. And I mean, it's never something you want to do to have to go in for another surgery. Yeah. I mean, when I went in for the last one in March, I said, this is it. I'm so done. Yeah. And I could just, I knew mentally I was just so frustrated and so over having to go in and, you know, I was, I was used to going in for surgery and I was like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want it to be that I'm used to going in for another surgery, yeah. you know? And, and so I, I said, I'm done for a while. And, and, uh, so I'm hoping, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to go in again, but, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, it's been, it'll be coming up on almost a year, um, post-surgery when I go in for my next one. So, I have given my body a break and then hopefully this will be the last one. And, you know, as it's just, so I want to be comfortable again. I want to be able to not have to think about this all the time. And, you know, yep. it's just, just that reminder, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, part of me, I'm, I mean, I know that I should go in and I should do this neck surgery just like as a revision and he can tighten up things on my right side and really kind of alleviate discomfort on my left side. But then there's also another part of me, like you're saying, that's like, do I want to go back in for another surgery? And there's a part of me that doesn't feel guilty, but almost feels like, shouldn't I just be fucking happy to be alive? Like, why am I trying to aesthetically go in and make this not perfect, but make it something that, I mean, I don't know. I've had like all these mixed emotions about it, but then ultimately, ultimately I'm like, no, like I deserve to be happy with this outcome. I didn't choose for this to happen to me. And so I should at least be somewhat happy with the way these, these things look for the next, however many years, like, but then, yeah, there's a part of me that's like, just be freaking grateful lady. (laughs) Like, I know know I've struggled with that too. And Oh, I, I, I guess it's just, you know, it's, it's, I want to be, um, 
comfortable, yep. you know, in my body. And I, and I am like, yeah. I, you know, there is part of me that's gained so much confidence through yes. this, but you know, I, I just want to have that comfort too, and not be, you know, out driving or out getting groceries or just sitting here and just having that just discomfort all the yep. time too. You know, yeah, I just want to be able to, to live with that and, yeah. you know, feel comfortable going forward and put this all behind me and say, okay, you know, that's enough. I mean, and yep. I say put that behind me lightly because, you know, I mean, yeah, you're you know, there's all you're part still of you that's doing hormone therapy. And I mean, it's just, I mean, obviously it's something that will be with us for the rest of our mm-hmm. lives, but to not think about the cosmetic part anymore yeah, is like yeah. so, so great. And when I, I remember when I found your Instagram, I was like, man, she is like so open with everything. And I really gained so much knowledge because you really gave so much detail and information in all of your posts. Like when you first got diagnosed, what made you want to share it on social media and share it in a blog and just kind of detail the process? When like, even since I was a kid, I've always found writing to be an outlet for me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I found it to be very therapeutic, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, I was really struggling when I was diagnosed finding resources for young women, like us going through it. Um, I did come, uh, across, uh, a couple blogs, um, when I was first diagnosed and it kind of, it inspired me you know, to share my own story, you know, to help others. And I, cause I, I wanted, I wanted that detail. I wanted to, to know every little detail about yep. what it was like going in for a scan, for surgery, for, you know, going through all these different things. And, you know, it, it was, there's been times where I've been really nervous to share, yeah. you know, I, I feel vulnerable, you know, sharing, um, especially um, showing the, you know, my surgeries and, yep. you know, the mastectomy and that. Um, but I think it's, it's really helpful for people and, you know, I'm getting messages from people saying, you know, you've helped me so much and, you know, and, and being able to be there and support them, you know, through, through their own diagnosis or someone who's recently diagnosed it is just so rewarding and it's so amazing knowing that I can help make a yeah. difference in their lives. And, um, I just know how much, you know, some of the blogs that I read early on, how much they help me. And yeah. it's just nice to be able to give back and, and do that for others and provide more resources. And it's just amazing nowadays seeing how many more women are sharing yes. on social media. And I, I'm just like, I'm always so proud of everybody whenever yeah. I see people posting. It's just amazing to me that there's such this, this huge community now of people that are sharing with each other and these friendships that have been made through it. It's just incredible. I know. And it is crazy. And I feel like it has just, and it's been like the last year that it's happened because Mm -hmm. I remember looking when I first, I remember like thinking that I was going to like getting diagnosed, same thing, like what your radiologist told you, like my radiologist was like, I'm 98% sure this is coming back cancer. But I mean, you got that 2% that you can kind of hold on to. So I'm like, okay. And I immediately was like, okay, I need to find, I, I have to, like, I have to know that other people have gotten through this because when, you know, when you're first diagnosed, you feel just completely alone. Like, especially when you're in your thirties and like if, if, if nobody's gone through it around you, you just feel so alone, but you also feel like this sense of just helplessness and hopelessness. Like you're just sitting there, like there's just no hope. Like, how am I supposed to ever have a normal life again? And I remember mm-hmm. I turned to Instagram and I remember I felt so 
like scared to type in the hashtag breast mm-hmm. cancer because I was like, what is going to come up? You know, am I going to be the first person that's ever like put breast cancer, yeah. like a hashtag in here? And I remember being so nervous, but then I started seeing people's posts and it was kind of like the same people. So I kept seeing, and so I started following those people and I started realizing that, okay, if they had a blog that I, and then I went and I read their entire blog and, um, mm-hmm. doing all that kind of stuff. But now when I look on there, I mean, there is a huge community of people that are coming together and they're sharing and they're lifting each other up and they're kind of just ripping the veil off of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. As, exactly. as like this cancer that just shouldn't be talked about that like women, they should either hide it or they should, it, they shouldn't be out there just showing their scars mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that it has changed so much that there are, there's a community out there that's saying like, no, feel your freaking boobs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I just, and I, I know that for me, I remember reading your blog, all your blog posts when I found, found your Instagram. And then I was like, okay, I have to read everything. <laughs> like I need to know, I need, cause here she is, because I mean, you, there, I mean, and we all go through it. There's the part, there's the, the posts where obviously we're talking about cancer and we're not looking so happy, but then there's the posts mm-hmm. of you hiking or you traveling or you and your husband mm-hmm. and, and you're smiling. And I thought like, okay, like there is, there's hope in this. And there's hope not to lose yourself through this entire process, but it is, I mean, it's a choice that you have to make in order to not lose who you are. Exactly. Cancer. Yeah. Like, cause it's so easy to be like, and not saying I, I mean, we've all changed. I know that I am not the person I was a year ago and thank, I mean, I thank God for that because like, yeah. I'm just kind of like, I can't believe I ever, I lived my life worrying about the things that I worried about or, you know, exactly. Cancer yeah. puts everything in perspective. And when I see people's posts and they're posting about breast cancer and they're talking about it and they're, mm-hmm. they're talking about the struggles and everything like that, I do feel so, I'm so proud to like, not that this is a club anybody wants to be in, no. <laughs> but I'm like, man, we, we have like, there is just such an amazing community, um, behind it all too. Exactly. I know. And this community has been one of the most amazing supports and it's been so helpful in my own recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's just incredible. I'm, I'm so thankful for everybody that I've met through this process. I mean, I can say, you, you don't want to be a part of this club, but you know, <laughs> we got your back. If you do, yeah. you know, t- <laughs> like, it happens that you know, make it to this club. We got your back. You exactly. Know? What would you, what would you tell somebody that is young, and found themselves in our position, somebody that's newly diagnosed that is like we were, that was out there looking for resources, um, what advice would you give them? I think the one of the most important things for me was, was finding support, finding people who are going through it mm-hmm. and being able to, to relate to those people because people that aren't going through it, they just don't understand it on that same level, right? Yeah. And so um, it's nice to talk to others um, who have, you know, gone through chemo, gone through radiation, you know, gone through mastectomy or lumpectomy. Because for me, like I was getting all the information when I was first diagnosed, but it's one thing to read all this, you know, scientific information, but it's another when you're actually talking to the people who have really been through it, you know, 
and learning those real experiences. So um, I think that for me was one of the most helpful things. And mm-hmm. and just knowing, you know, you're going to get through this. You yeah. know, there are going to be those days where you just think, oh, I, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah. But you can do it. You yeah. know, you just embrace all of the emotions. Cause you know, I mean, that's one of the things I've heard a lot too, is, you know, people feel, um, bad and, and myself included, you know, I should be, you know, more happy that I'm, that I'm here. And, you know, why am I feeling, you know, down about this or down about that? And, but, you know, it's going to be that roller coaster of emotions and, you know, you just kind of got to embrace every bit of it and say that it's, oh, it's okay not to be okay all the time. Right. Uh-huh. And you don't yeah. have to be this positive, like, you know, epitome of like strength, you know, going yeah. through that, you know, cause I think that's what I was sharing on a recent, a recent post is, you know, being strong, isn't just being this, you know, poster girl for, you know, positivity. Yeah. And, you know, it's sometimes being able to reach out and say, I'm not doing okay. And I need some help, you yeah. know, and, and that was a, that was a really tough thing for me going through. It was, was being able to ask my friends and family for help. Yep. And um, I'm, I'm still learning, you know, yeah, to do that. I'm right uh, there with you just because yeah. nobody with each step of cancer and your treatment and diagnosis and everything, nobody tells you there's no booklet about how to get through this. Everybody's experience is different. And so it's like, you don't know exactly, you don't know what to do. You're feeling all these different sorts of things. And then the whole life after treatment thing is a whole other world that like no one knows how to navigate through treatment. And I know that you dealt with things that a lot of people don't have to deal with going through treatment emotionally. Um, and so could you talk more about like survivor skills that you learned and then kind of what you went through and how you got through all the events that happened during your treatment? Yeah. So, um, when I was first diagnosed, I mean, you know, you hear people say, you kind of, you go into to fight mode and, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of do what you do what you need to do. And, and I, sometimes I'm like, you know, I, I didn't feel as emotional as I, as yep. I thought I should know. Like, I, I, I was like, am I numb to this? Like, yeah. I just like, I feel like, you know, I'm just like, give me the chemo, give me, yep. you know, give me it all. Right. I just, I, I just was so, um, I just really wanted to do everything I could to, to beat it. And, um, you know, some of the things that I really found helpful going through it was, um, you know, being able to go out and exercise, even when I was going through chemo, getting off the couch and walking to the end of the street and back, you know, even after surgery too, it was not only physically, but it was just mentally so, so needed, you know, Mm -hmm. it was so, um, therapeutic for me, just being able to get out. And even on those days that I could just barely pull myself mm-hmm. out of bed and like, Hey, I just, I just need to get out of the house, you know, and just being able to still have my friends come over and being able to ask for help and, you know, feeling yeah. like I still had a bit of normalcy in my life, you know, yeah. even when my second week of chemo <laughs> would come along, um, like when I started finally getting my energy back, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do everything I can <laughs> this, this week that I'm feeling better. And, you know, I'm going to do all the fun things that I missed out on, you know, last week when I was feeling crappy, but yep. also understanding that, you know, if you're not able to do something, it, you know, do not feel guilty about yep. it too. I mean, um, this is something I've talked to my counselor about because 
I mean, even up until recently with going back to work, I've felt guilty with, you know, laying out on the couch for hours. Mm -hmm. Um, but she said, you know, it's about switching the mindset sometimes and saying, Hey, I'm, 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 you know, taking this time to catch up on some Netflix and, you know, my body needs some rest and, Mm -hmm. and uh, not think about the things I'm not doing, but thinking about how, you know, I'm doing what's best for me. Yes. One of the other things that, that was, has been really hard. And I know there's other, um, survivors that have gone through this, um, is, uh, you know, that term survivor's guilt that we, that we often hear, um, you know, because through this and through the, you know, the friendships and the community that we make, um, you know, there are some people that we've lost along the way and, Mm -hmm. and it can be really, you know, it's really hard to, um, you know, to, to see that happen, to see the reality of the disease. And when I was going through um, my own cancer treatments, my cousin, uh, who was 37 years old at the time was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and she was diagnosed, um, shortly before I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And, uh, and she had, um, a stage four diagnosis and, and so it was really hard to go through treatment and to see what she was going through. Mm -hmm. Um, she, you know, a mother of, um, three beautiful kids. And, um, you know, I was, I was going through chemo and, you know, had, had a, you know, fairly good prognosis yeah. while she was fighting for her life. And, you know, and, and so when I was halfway through my radiation treatment, I, um, I had gone to visit her throughout my, my treatments. I would go to visit her and then go to my radiation appointments right mm-hmm. afterwards. And I remember saying to her, you know, I like, like, why is this happening to you? Like, you know, like I, I felt so bad, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I was given life in a way, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, so halfway through radi- radiation, when, um, I was given the news that she passed away, it was just hard. Like, yeah. you know, going to her funeral and I felt, I felt guilty. Like I felt guilty going there and being like, Oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm still here, you know? And, and it was, it was a really tough position to be in and, and something that I've still been learning to cope with. And, um, I recently went to a conference that she had actually attended, uh, the young, young adult cancer Canada conference. And, uh, um, she had been there a couple of years ago and everybody, or a lot of people there knew her mm-hmm. and uh, it was really emotional being there without her and being to all the same spots that she had attended and, you know, hiked to. And, um, but I did it, I, when I was there, I, I just did it more in her, in her memory too. Yeah. I, you know, I knew that she would want me to be there. I knew that she would want me to be there living life, enjoying life and, you know, yeah. And I just remember her saying, like, before she passed, she said, you know, I'm going to be okay. You know, you you keep fighting this. You're going to beat this. And just keep going. You're going to be okay. And that was, wow. that was really emotional. You yeah. know, and it's, it's like to think about that, you know. And um, so I think, yeah, that's something that even, you know, going through this, I've, you know, lost other friends. And, and uh, it can be hard, you know. And I think that's where, you know, having that support from others, too, and, um yeah. you know, to, to help you through those emotions is really helpful Yeah, um, to get through those times. So, oh, yeah, that emotional pressure that you put on yourself, mm-hmm. like through chemo where you're already 
going through all this and then through radiation and your body's trying to heal the whole cancer treatment. It's so much of a mental game. It is. Yeah. Than a physical one. And like, that's when people, you know, tell me and, and, and I'm sure you get these messages too on social media and it breaks my heart is when somebody says I was just diagnosed with such and such, and it doesn't have to be breast cancer. It can be any cancer. And automatically my stomach just drops because I know that initial feeling. And, you know, and, and the first thing I say is like, it, it's mental. Like as much as it feels that it's going to be physical, it's, it's not mm-hmm. like it is so okay. mental. And if you can get into a good space mentally, you're setting yourself up for so much better of a fight. But if you yeah. go down and you just start thinking, why me, poor me, how could this happen to mm-hmm. me? Like you'll stay there and, mm-hmm. and you won't get up. Like you said, to just to go on that walk and just to make it to the yeah. end of the street, because the end of the street, no matter, even if it's 10 steps feels like victory. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm even after my mastectomy surgery, I went to the end of the driveway and back, you know, I mean, it seems like such a small feat to look at it now, but then it was like, yes, I made it to the end of the driveway and back, you know? Yeah. I totally, you you need those times like that. You know, it's, it's amazing how much something like that can lift you up. You know, you think at that time that you can just conquer the world, like just because, and that was me. But I mean, the residual Mm -hmm. effects of chemo on your brain or the hormone therapy, or just even like, I feel like my body is still healing from surgeries just Mm -hmm. based off of like my activity level. Like uh, there's, I, I have no upper body strength, (laughs) like none (laughs) whatsoever. I have no arm strength and, and you know, I know that I'm cleared to work out or, or do what I feel like I can do, but there's a part of me that's like so afraid to do those types of things too, because I'm just like, you couldn't pay me to do a push up right now. Like, I know. <laughs> like that's not happening. My arms will give out. I have no chest muscles. Like there is nothing. But mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago when I, when I mowed my backyard, just pushing the lawnmower. I, I mean, I was like getting emotional out there. I'm sure if my neighbors saw me, they were like, this lady is whacked. <laughs> like she's out. They probably thought it was like some type of torture thing because my husband was like nowhere to be. I think he was like either inside or doing yard work in the front yard. And I'm pushing the lawnmower across my backyard, just bawling, like wiping snot. And I'm just like, I can do it. I can do it. Like I'm <laughs> exactly yeah I mean that's the thing these these small things they, they just don't seem small anymore and yeah it's it's been really about like changing my mindset with things too and you know sometimes I think back oh well you know I was able to do this this and this before mm-hmm. you know before cancer and before all the treatments and the surgeries but I just try to focus on where I'm at now yeah. you know and overcoming the obstacles, you know, that I'm at now and, you know, and, and setting those goals, no matter how small they may seem now, it's like, okay, you know, I, I'm seeing a little bit of progress and not, not, you know, comparing it to how I was before, like, oh, I was able to, yeah, do all these push-ups or whatever. Yeah. It's like, hey, I was able to do one today, you know, <laughs> and 
I mean, it's just little things like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I could do a push up before cancer. I don't think I could. I could do, I could probably do one like on my knees, but I'm just saying like, if I had to do one now, it would be a no go. It's just not going to happen. But I know. Recently, you went back to work, and I know that you prepared to go back to work. Like, it wasn't just a overnight, well, I'm, I start work on Monday. Like, you, you did months of preparation to get you to a point of being mentally and physically ready to go back to I work. Did. Yeah, so I had been off work for two years and three months, and... Um, I've, you know, after treatment ended, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't kind of back to normal, which I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. It was definitely more of a, um, mental struggle than I expected. And the, you know, the brain fog and, yeah, you know, the other cognitive issues, you know, my memory is my short term memory is just shot some days. Like yep. I've, I lost, I lost a bra this summer. I have no idea where it went. <laughs> It like literally walked out of my house and I have no idea where it went to. <laughs> so, um, like just stuff like that. And so, um, I was struggling so much still that, um, uh, so I, I've been on long-term disability through work. And so the, um, insurance company that I'm through, they, um, have a re- rehabilitation consultant who was working with me and she, um, was working to find ways to successfully return me to work. So, um, they, uh, funded this program. Um, mm-hmm. so this rehabilitation program and, uh, it was over the course of about eight weeks and I did, uh, return to work counseling sessions every week along with, um, some physio and occupational therapy. So, um, I would go in there, do a bit of a workout, um, because there is a little bit, you know, the physical piece and I've been having some shoulder issues and, you know, my back's kind of not the same. And, mm-hmm. um, but the, you know, the cognitive stuff, they would get me to, um, I should, I should say too, I, I work as a human resources advisor. So I'm doing a lot of, um, you know, reading through, mm-hmm research and, you know, doing meetings and taking notes and stuff like that. And so they're getting me to do a lot of, um, typing and, um, watching videos and doing summary notes and, um, reading some research articles, stuff like that, just Mm -hmm. to kind of get my brain trained a bit again to get back into that mindset. Right. So, um, so I did that over the course of the summer, um, kind of did it increasingly cause it was also too, just being able to get there every day, you know, being able to show up, you know, one day a week and then two days and three days and four days and, you know, increasing my hours, mm-hmm. um, until, uh, it reached the point, um, that I was, you know, ready to return to work. So, um, what has it been now? It's been about five weeks, um, since I returned to work. So they, um, I went back on September 4th after the Labor Day weekend Mm -hmm. and started doing a gradual return to work. So, um, again, just kind of building up. So I did two, three hour days, then three, four hour days and four, six hours and five, six hours. And Mm -hmm. then I just finished three, eight hour shifts last week. Oh, wow. It's, it's been a challenge. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's definitely, you know, cause I mean, I've been spending my last two years focused on my health, like, yes. you know, going from appointment to appointment, exercising, doing treatment, you know, yeah. like 
surgeries. And so going back to this, you know, eight to four Monday to Friday job and having to read through all of this very, you know, <laughs> like a lot of legal language and stuff. It's, it's not light reading by yeah. any means. It's been a challenge to go back and to get my brain back into that mindset. And then while still, you know, struggling with fatigue and, you know, the cognitive issues and, um, you know, there's been some points I've been super frustrated again, yeah. you know, that I, you know, as I was thinking, oh, I'll be able to go back and I'm going to, I'm going to pick this up like nothing. Yeah. And then I go back and, and I was surprised at how challenging it was remembering how to do things yes. that were just like second nature to me before. Yeah. Um, and trying and having to be more forgiving of myself, you know, throughout that process and still to this day, you know, being patient that, you know, it's, it's going to take some time and, you know, things may not be exactly as they once were. Um, but for me, having having a supportive workplace has been seriously a huge, huge um, blessing to me through all this. Yeah. You know, just like having, you know, you know, the support through treatments and everything, you know, through the breast cancer community and through friends and family, you know, being able to go to work and have the support in that place too. Because, you know, work is a huge part of our lives, you know, takes up a big chunk of our day. And so being able to go into that environment, feel supported there as well, you know, makes such a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my boss, um, as I said before, she has had experience, um, not personal, but, you know, from, you know, with her daughter having, um, cancer at a young age, you know, she's a little more understanding of, you know, what it's like to go through this. Yeah. And interestingly enough, too, I've also had two coworkers who've been through breast cancer in the same. Wow. So she's been through it with them, too, and, you know, gone through their return to work process. And Mm -hmm. and so she said to me, you know, you let us know what you're able to do. And when you're ready to take on more, more work, you know, you let us know. So they've been very supportive, you know, just leaving it in my hands to let them know how things are going and, um, you know, and letting them know when I need to take a step back as yeah. well. So that's been amazing. Yeah, <laughs> been abs- so- yeah, absolutely. And also the fact that the doctor's appointments and all those things don't stop. Like you, you know, you have to still go in for a hormone shot once a month, but then there's also the checkups and there's also the blood work and there's also plastic surgeon appointments and breast surgeon appointment. Like there's still all these appointments that go on that I can't imagine had an employer that wasn't understanding and didn't, didn't realize that your cancer, your surveillance goes on for the next five to 10 years where you're monitored relatively closely, not obviously not as closely during as it was with active treatment, but still, there's still so many, like, even now I feel like calendar still full of doctor's appointments. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I know. I look at my calendar and even when I was doing, you know, a couple days a week with work, it felt like I was working full time because I'm going like last month I had 12 appointments last month, you know, between going to my oncologist, massage, physio, counseling, you know, all these different things to help manage the side effects that I'm still dealing with from 
from treatment and from hormone therapy, medication, you know, it's, it, it doesn't end. And and I think that's why I like to share so much too, Mm -hmm. you know, not just with the breast cancer community, but also with, you know, my friends and family, because, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. When treatment ends, you know, that's it, you know, things don't stop when treatment ends, you know, you know, you're still dealing with these side effects. You're still trying to navigate your way through this, you know, new life. And it's, I'm not just sitting here day to day, like just going about, it's like, I'm, you know, sitting here dealing with the fogginess and the fatigue and it's like, you know, waking up, you know, wondering whether I'm going to have enough energy to get through this entire day or, you know, and it is a day to day thing. And that's, you know, even it's hard to even explain sometimes to my husband or even to the kids or friends. Um, you know, like one day I could go, I could be gone the whole day and feel great. But then Mm -hmm. two, three days later, it's like, nope, I can't even function to get out of bed today. Like my head is just so clouded. My body is just Mm -hmm. drained. But I mean, the next day I could wake up and I feel great again. (laughs) Like, yeah, exactly. I know it's, it's so different. I mean, even yesterday I was out at the store and thankfully had my husband there with me and I was just like having a panic attack. I'm like, I got to get out of here. Like, you know, and I never used to be like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, yeah, it's, it's a little, you know, it, it, you know, it can be frustrating, but I'm like, okay, you know, just learning to cope with those situations and being able to just take a deep breath, you know, drop everything and leave if I have to, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a, different, different life now, I guess, in some ways, you know, it is, it's, I mean, it is crazy how, and I was the same way. I never had, I was never anxious before breast cancer going through, like I never really had this overwhelming sense of anxiety or just anything. And now I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's the hormone medication, who knows, but now I do have just these bouts of anxiety where, and well, I will say the grocery store gives me anxiety no matter what. So every every time I enter that place, I have like a mild panic attack. Like, oh my God, just get me out of here. Like there's just, there's so many options and then there's people and then I have to move this cart and I'm like the clumsiest person ever. So I shouldn't, I, sometimes I shouldn't even be able to operate a vehicle, but like <laughs> then you put me in a store and then I've got like four kids with me sometimes. And I'm like, I can't, can't compute. Like I need to get out. <laughs> like, I, just, exactly. I can't do it. So there is, there's um, just all of these, like, and then you're just anxious about, you know, you're so in tune with your body now where you're a mild hypochondriac and you have like exactly. this PTSD from cancer and all of the treatments and everything that, I mean, if you have a sore throat in the morning, you're all of a sudden like, okay, got to monitor this, got to take my temp. Like yeah. how yeah. long is this I mean, sore throat lasting? Exactly. That's one of the things I was talking to, um, with my, um, with my counselor too recently, I said, you know, it's, you're in this constant state of like being hyper aware of your body. And so, and it's not that I can put it, you know, out of my mind too, because there's part of me that has to kind of document it. Cause it's like, yeah. Okay. You know, cause my oncologist says, okay, well, you know, if something persists for two weeks, then let us know. (laughs) So on the one side, I'm trying not to think about it and, you know, cause myself to just go crazy, you know, going, thinking about it 24 seven. But then on the other hand, I'm trying to take a mental note of it, 
you know, just in case it does persist. And yep. I, you know, it's something I need to be alarmed about. And so it's that weird balance, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. such a hard, it's been hard to navigate that to that fine balance between, you know, yeah, when to be worried, when to be not. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I don't yeah. know, it's been, a, it's been a tough one. And so one of the things actually that my, my counselor said to me, she's like, take, you know, if you're find yourself thinking about it, just write it down, not that it's going to go away, but mm-hmm. write it down that it's out of your mind in a way, you mm-hmm. know, and you're not having to remember it. It's written down somewhere. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. Cause I mean, I forget everything. So, I mean, I live by to-do lists, yeah. my calendar, like loaded with everything. I mean, I'll write a to-do list, you know, have a shower, walk the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Simple things, but just to keep myself on track some days. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's totally, different. <laughs> it's definitely, it's totally different. And yeah. Well, is there anything else you would like to talk about? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we can I feel like talk for hours. I know that's how I feel too. I get on here and then I'm like, I kind of forget that I'm even recording this and I'm like, I could just talk to you. Like, what else are you doing today? So like, what's the weather outside? Well, I know, I know that's the thing. It's like, and sometimes I'll, you know, I'll run into people who, you know, like in the breast cancer community and like, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to like, you know, say all this stuff and like, we've only got a short amount of time. Like, Oh, I just wish we had more time. Exactly. It's, it, it is. It's so crazy because not only is social media a weird thing where you feel like, you know, someone anyway, because you read their captions and see their posts and then you watch their stories, but then you take oh. breast cancer and that, um, experience and add that and it's just like a level of you're like, oh no, I've known you for years because I know the emotion behind you know, the things that you've gone through and you know, the emotion, like when I say that I'm frustrated, you can understand the frustration or just yes. all those t- types of things. So, well, I'm so happy that you came on today to be of able to course. share your story and all of your insight and everything. And you have just been so valuable to me on social media and just such, such a light, even when you feel like it's a post that's dark, like, yeah it still is bringing so much emotion, you know, to the forefront. And so I say you're fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I'm so thankful for our friendship and, you know, for everybody I've met through this, through this crazy, crazy thing called breast cancer, you know, but no, I'm yeah. Incredibly grateful for the people that have come into my life, my life through all this. It's amazing. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. In this episode, Kim and I talked a lot about finding a support system and we happen to find that support on Instagram, but not everybody wants to be open and forthcoming with the details of their diagnosis and their treatments and just everything. They don't want to put it out there on social media, which I totally understand. Um, But a support system is still very crucial. And I wanted to let my breast cancer fighters and thrivers and survivors know that there is a place that you can go to find that community. It's built in. There is an app called Breast Cancer Healthline. It is created with the survivor and patient in mind. There were actually tons of survivors that had an input on how this app was created and what the breast cancer community actually needs as far as support. 
So when you onboard for the app, you're able to put in all of your information, your diagnosis, the treatments that you've gone through, if you're currently in treatment, anything that you're going through, it puts it in there, your age, your family situation, anything, and it kind of matches you with people in that same situation. But you don't have to just be matched with people. There's just an entire community of women, you know, who have one common factor, and that was breast cancer. There's also live chats that you can talk to people in real time and just build that relationship with other women where you may not have that opportunity locally to do that. So the Breast Cancer Healthline app is a great resource. It also has tons of articles, um, you know, anything new with the breast cancer community. It has, you know, helpful tips, just anything that you need. The, any question you have, the app is there to answer it. So I really encourage you to check out the app. It's called Breast Cancer Healthline. Um, I know it's available on iTunes and it's also available on Android. So um, I wrote a blog post as well. You can head to my blog, the blog part in myfrench.com and um, there's more information there. But I really do encourage you to check it out. I've been on there for a couple weeks now and I've met so many women and I've had so many helpful and thoughtful conversations on this app. So definitely check it out. Thank you.